Hello everyone and welcome to our show, Telebuddies. I'm Michael Clancy and joining me on this adventure into the small screen is co-host Eric Saris. We're here to share our favourite television and streaming series with you, talk about what makes them great, and share some interesting stories along the way. This episode, we dive into the Netflix smash hit from the summer of 2016, Stranger Things. And we'll get to that in all due time, but first of all, Eric, I think you coined this when we were discussing setting up the show. Um, we're we're kind of living in an age, uh, almost a golden age of television right now. For me, it feels like a, a, a good time to kind of do a retrospective on a lot of these classic shows. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Aside from the new shows that are, seem to be coming out almost every day, especially um, with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu pushing a lot of original content, that uh, it's kind of given me time to reflect back on the last couple of decades where we seem to really have evolved into this uh, you know, golden age of TV, as I've been calling it. And uh, I think it's just given us a lot of unique stories and perspectives. And um, with the way movies have been going lately of kind of uh, catering to the big budget, you know, blockbuster success stories, especially with the Marvel Universe and the Transformers films and other things like that, uh, you you're kind of losing out those you're missing out on those indie movies and um, you you get a lot of that more character development and you know higher level storytelling I think uh, on the small screen now which is really exciting the creators have a lot more luxury to spend time developing these great stories and characters and the viewers you know get a chance every week or sometimes just you know <laughs> one twelve hour a day to really get to know all these people in that story and yeah I think that's just where the new venture is now. Definitely. It kind of feels like the, the rules have changed a little bit from, from the ways that TV shows used to be made. I mean, you know, it's only maybe 10, 15 years ago when there was so few options for, if you want to make a TV show, there were so few options of where you could actually get that made. And now you've got your, your sort of classical TV networks, you've got some of your your more um, specialist ones in the way of like Showtime and HBO. And now, of course, you've got all the streaming services as well. So it really seems like you're, you're getting these options to tell these stories. And and, and I think that's going to be part of uh, what we look at from the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into things like the production details and how a show actually got made and, you know, who turned it down or what, what allowances had to be made in order to make it. Uh, I think that's going to be a really exciting aspect of, of the show as we go. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I really also like with this kind of the new streaming model where you're not restricted to commercial breaks and even just network time slots, but where the creators are given more flexibility with how long a specific episode may be, or even if, um, like our you know episode today talking about Stranger Things, I'm, I know we're going to get into how it's kind of just one long movie where you know these the Duffer Brothers clearly had a great idea and they were able to turn out a great version of this eight-hour story for us. Yeah, and with and with that in mind, I mean, saying as this is episode one, um, it might be an idea just to kind of talk about our our history in, in watching television. I mean, you know, it's been a, a huge part of my life watching television. You know, it's it's. I, I think my parents would probably tell you that I was destined to to eventually make a a, a podcast or or some sort of recording where I I talk about television because I, that was definitely my favorite pastime as a kid. I would plonk down on the television and. It, it, you know, back in the day when you only had three or four choices of things of what to watch, 
much. That didn't really seem to put me off or bother me. And um, now, now we have so many more options. But, but what about you? What, what kind of things got you hooked on television? Um, well, for me, growing up, I think like a lot of a lot of kids who were born in the '80s and '90s, uh, I really got hooked on The Simpsons um, from probably too young of an age. If you were to ask my mom, <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, that that show with the the higher level of humor and um, especially pushing the frontier of animation, specifically for adult animation shows. I can't I can't even name all the different you know writers and directors and actors that just owe their entire legacy to being inspired by The Simpsons. So I'm really happy that I was exposed to that show as a kid and bouncing around the different um, cable stations with. With reruns, I remember there. I had this method where I think I watched three different channels and could get two hours of Simpsons a night minimum, even if they were just reruns. So that was kind of uh, my big TV thing as a kid. That's what really got me into it. Yeah, definitely for me as well. Um, the, the Simpsons, the way it kind of skewers, you know, popular culture, you know, religion, you know, anything seems to be up for grabs in The Simpsons. But they never, it never felt like that controversial when they were doing it. It just seemed like they had really interesting things to say um, without really pushing the envelope too far in the way of something, you know, like South Park might do. Yeah, I think like South Park, I mean, they, The Simpsons stays on top of the pop culture and the current events, but there's something more wholesome about those characters that I think really grounded the stories uh, in a way that, you know, as you said, wasn't as controversial, but definitely still got, you know, the issue brought to the front, just thinking about anything from what there's like an episode where homer <laughs> battles the garbage you know commission because he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't want to have to throw away his garbage a certain way you know all the way to things where you know or um going all the way up into you know commenting on the olympics boycott in some of those flashbacks from i think when marge is pregnant with either bart or lisa just you know those this great little uh you know nod and wink to the real world outside of this fantastical realm of springfield yeah, uh, it was a, it's a real classic, and it, I'm glad we're kind of on the, the same level with that. It's kind of nice that, you know, we we got this love of television, and The Simpsons was such a big part of it. Maybe, maybe we should just do a Simpsons podcast. Should we, should we yeah, just, man, it should just throw, the, throw the book out the window and just uh, focus on The Simpsons instead? <laughs> yeah, well, I think maybe one year we'll have to just do a whole Simpsons retrospective. <laughs> oh, boy. That would be... Like, I'm, I'm there. I'm all for it. Look out for that in a few episodes' time, folks. Well, you heard it. You heard it, listeners. This is the uh, only time that Michael and I will be agreeing on anything from here on out. It's going to be a hundred percent argumentative. Yeah, well, I think there's going to be some some differences of opinion. One of the things I'm really looking forward to on this project as we go further down the line, you know, we're we're talking about some of the um, some more recent things for our first few episodes. I think stuff that's more like in people's minds right now. But I, I look forward to to going back and maybe maybe looking at some other shows that kind of defined us growing up. And and you know, I I think it would be really fun to kind of play off the fact that you know you're we have we came from different cultures growing up. You know, we have a whole bunch of like shows that are very very specific to to ourselves growing up so you know i think if we can make an agreement i'll teach you all about chewing the fat and uh, still game if you can explain to me what gilligan's island and i love lucy are all about yeah um i'm definitely definitely up for that challenge <laughs> we'll see maybe further down the line yeah for sure <laughs> On that note, uh, what have you been watching lately? Well, um, I've been watching a Netflix original series um, 
you know similar to what we're talking about today. Uh, I, I've been watching Jessica Jones the the last few mm. weeks, and that's it's been a bit of a slow burner. It took me a little while to get into it, but I'm I'm, I'm really starting. I'm really digging it. I, I'm really liking what um, Netflix are doing with with these Marvel properties that they come on. I think uh, I've only seen a few episodes of Daredevil, which I think are, are pretty great, and uh, Luke Cage, and I just think it's kind. Of, those shows you know it's kind of smaller more intimate it's not all about you know saving the world i think it's a really good antidote to all of the uh, marvel cinematic offerings that we're getting right now there's something a little bit more personal to it and uh, also you know with jessica jones getting a hell of a lot darker which is which i appreciate definitely yeah i think you really strike on it with the feel of it being personal on these tv shows and you know both jessica jones and daredevil are pretty dark compared to you know guardians of the galaxy or even the avengers but there, there's something more real about that kind of level you can connect to the character watching them in these different environments. You got that kind of film noir style with Jessica Jones that I, you don't, I don't know, I never expected to see that in a comic book adaptation of any kind. And I find it, I find it really refreshing, and I'm not sure how far into it you are, but the, the variety of the characters, and especially the phenomenal performance from David Tennant as... Um, as the villain in that series, it's it really it, it keeps you in that Marvel universe of you know the kind of fantastical anything can happen with you know the jokiness of Jessica Jones picking up a car, uh, <laughs> but also it makes it feel really real as they address those issues of you know psychological torture and you know physical torture as well. Yeah, I mean it, it got really dark. The episode I just saw, I think it was episode nine, where they've just had um, David Tennant's character Kilgrave, without going into too many spoilers, but they've they've, they've just captured him and they've kind of kept him in a, in a room and mm. well he got out and boy oh boy did he not take uh, being in prison very well but if, if you haven't seen it I don't want to spoil it too too much for people but I you know I it's an approach to to like the comic book world that I I'd, I wish Marvel would take more advantage with in their movies. You know I remember reading a couple of years back uh, the comic book Old Man Logan. I don't know if you've read that one. No, I'm not familiar with that one. It's just like it's it focuses on you know the character of Wolverine when he's a lot older and he's kind mm. of broken down and living in like this um, like a, this very remote area in the West and he's got a family and like basically it's set in a world where the villains have won and he's just basically trying to carve out an existence for himself and I just thought like this would make such a like and, and and they're kind of doing it they're kind of the next the next uh, Wolverine movie Logan which is out next year I think is kind of borrowing from that story but I just wish they would like yeah. have the guts to kind of go all, all out with it because it kind of has like, if they kind of did it more stripped back like uh, almost like a sort of independent film I really feel like it mm. would, they could make something really awesome with it and that's and I feel like these like Jessica Jones and, and Luke Cage I think that's probably the closest we're going to get to that I know they're not going to do that with their superhero movies because they all have to make a billion dollars and you know you got to sell that merchandise <laughs> and stuff but you know I, I i guess if we if we're they're going to keep on putting stuff out like jessica jones i can i can be happy enough yeah that and deadpool because i feel like that was the movie where they also broke from their kind of avengers model or slash iron man 3 model of you know how to set up a film yeah i mean it feels like this year they've they've kind of realized that they need to do things a little bit differently doctor strange similarly kind of I mean, it follows a very it, that's that that similar template is there, but it kind of takes it in a different direction, which I'm excited about. But anyway, this isn't a right. film podcast, so I should stop rambling on about that. <laughs> Eric, Eric, what have you been watching recently? Okay, so uh, like most people, I am very hooked on Westworld right now, and uh, today, the day we're recording, is actually going to be the season one finale. So, oh boy, uh, Michael, I'm not I'm not sure if you caught any of this yet. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen it yet. No. 
Okay, well, um, I mean, not to spoil it for you or anyone else, but it's it's just a really great look at uh, <laughs> at the singularity. And I don't know if you know much about it, but that um, is supposed to be when human and machine uh, consciousness merges together into one kind of new evolved being. And uh, the premise of Westworld is that it's this you know Western theme park where all these different robots. Uh, you know, fulfill kind of the NPC roles of you playing like a big MMORPG game. And uh, you go in and interact with them, and there are obviously restrictions so people can't get hurt. But, um, you know, as any good Michael Crichton story goes, as I'm sure everyone's familiar with, the, <laughs> there is the uh, potential uh, for the, you know, um, the robots called hosts in the park to be kind of evolving out of their cycle and maybe turning against the guests. So if you haven't seen it and you're interested, stay off the internet <laughs> because yeah. there's some really, really huge twists later on. And um, it, it reminds me a lot of Lost, where it's it's a great mystery box show. And uh, there are a couple really great theories out there for where it could go um, that, are, that are very compelling. And there's also this great theory that Cracked, uh, you know, dot com detailed of how it may just end up being a terrible, terrible TV show with a million plot holes. So I'm really hoping that theory doesn't come to pass, but I'd say that's equally plausible to the, you know, batshit insane ones I've been reading. Yeah, yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it, and I, I'm looking forward to finally sitting down and catching it. Uh, do you know, how long are they planning on going with it? I mean, are they presumably going to do a second season? Do you know, do they have, do they have a long-term plan with it? I recently heard from someone, and I'm not sure if you know where they got it from, but that uh, I guess the uh, creative team came in with five seasons of ten episodes each. So as far as I know, huh. it's supposed to be a set five season television show. Um, so we'll get we'll get fifty episodes out of that over the next couple of years. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, I just like I I hear it's great, but like you know, I'm familiar with the movie to a certain extent. I just I I don't know I don't know how they're going to flesh that out for five for five seasons but i suppose that's why i'm not working in television because i my, my i can't seem to wrap my simple mind around it well hopefully they can pull it off and it won't be as controversial as the whole lost effect as it's become to be known oh god well yeah i don't you, you could you're very dangerously close to getting me off on a tangent which i think we should probably we won't, we won't go down the last tangent not yeah right now, we, I let's save that for a few episodes yeah. yeah we could be here a while Let's dive into Stranger Things, yeah. Yeah, Stranger Things is going to be our focus for this week's show. It is, of course, the sci-fi, horror, drama, thriller genre mashup created by Matt and Ross Duffer, known as the Duffer Brothers. Uh, so far, we've had one season and eight episodes, which were all released on Netflix on July 15th, 2016. And it has it was released, it kind of came out of nowhere. I certainly don't remember hearing too much about it before it was released, but... Good God, Eric, I heard, certainly heard a lot about it after it was released. Definitely been billed as one of the must-see pieces of culture of 2016, really. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> Funny that you, you say, though, that it's uh, billed as one of the best things of 2016 culture. Is, I bet it could also be billed as one of the best things of 1980s culture. <laughs> well, that's very true, and that's, I, I feel like we're going to dive into that very much. It's... Uh, 
certainly one that, that leans very heavily on uh, 1980s nostalgia from things like Alien, E.T., Close Encounters of a Third Kind, Stand By Me, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. You've got everything from Spielberg, John Carpenter, Wes Craven, Stephen King. They're all in there. But uh, before we get into it too much, I think what would be fun is a and something we should maybe try and do for all of our shows is to set ourselves a lean 60 seconds to kind of recap the the show for our listeners for the benefit of those who haven't seen it. Although, with that being said, we are going to be delving heavily into spoiler territory from here on out, so that's something to be warned on. Um, It's the first show. Do you want me to try and tackle the the, the plot, or are you willing to give it a go, Eric? Um, You know what? I think, you know, it's your suggestion to do this 60-second thing, so why don't you dive into it, Michael? (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay, let let me pace myself here. 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. So we're set in uh, a, a small town, a, a small kind of woodland town. We focus on four boys, Wheeler, Will, Dustin, and Lucas, four best friends who love nothing more than playing Dungeons and Dragons in their basement. One night while they're going home from a, ses- a day-long session of playing Dungeons and Dragons, the character of Will is kind of apprehended by this mysterious force which chases them through the woods and then abducts him in his in his home. And from there, the, the series kind of spins off in to the various different consequences that happen from this disappearance. His mother, played by Winona Ryder, obviously is very distraught and uh, starts to believe that she can communicate with him through various lighting fixtures and through radio. The boys mount their own search, which leads them into the path of a mysterious young girl with psychic powers called Elle. And then there's also a policeman who investigates not only the disappearance, but also the involvement of a sinister energy company. And all the while, there is the mysterious monster, the Demogorgon, lurking here and in the Upside Down world. That was a good, minute. Very that, good. It was Sorry. a minute ten, but I think if I remove all the ums and ahs in the post edit, I can get it down to about sixty seconds. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, at, uh, very, very good summary. Yeah, I mean to cover basically eight hours covering you know three or four different plots. That's basically the gist of the film, um, and it's kind of hard to summarize one of these things. I think because it ties into so many established tropes from just horror films and um, you know like. What's the trope for, you know, kind of group of kids goes out on an adventure? Just like an adventure film. like Yeah, like a coming-of-age kind of... Elements. Yeah, coming-of-age. There it is. So, but I, I think what this show does so well is that you have these familiar tropes, even right from the characters, where easily these could all be caricatures if they were done poorly. I mean, you've got Steve as the, you know, could just be the dumb, harassing jock kid, but as you watch the series, you see that he... You know, finally understands how his actions are hurting the people around him that he cares about, and you know, one hell of a redemption moment at the end of that uh, whole series when he comes in and you know bashes the crap out of the Demogorgon. <laughs> yeah, I I think that's something you wouldn't normally see from your typical you know 1980s bully villain outside of maybe a John Hughes film where there's there's a lot of nuance to these characters and. Steve's just one of many examples from, you know, Winona Ryder's portrayal as the the frantic mother and David Harbour just nailing it as kind of the renegade cop, you know, seeking out justice and going against the evil, corrupted government force behind all these supernatural things. And uh, because of that, you learn like a, I think because of the format of a, of a streaming show, you get to learn a little bit more about these characters um, you know, current and past family lives that give it a lot more depth, and I I think that speaks a lot to the Duffer Brothers creations and uh, them and the rest of the writing team really getting a lot of depth, plumbing, plumbing these nostalgia and 
kind of stereotypical tropes for depth and you know presenting a a well-known story but with a really really fresh face yeah definitely and it's it's interesting that you you kind of mentioned the the uh the streaming aspect to it kind of lending to the story i mean that this is kind of a new phenomenon that we've we have with uh living in an age of things like netflix and uh, amazon video and things like that in which um the the, the shows get released all at once you know the, the it's gone with that kind of almost like cliffhanger thing where a show ends and there you are with a, a week twiddling your thumbs and until you get the next installment um do you do you think that's a a good thing i mean maybe not even specifically for this show but do you enjoy the fact that now we we can have all of our shows all at once just dumped down on them and if if you so choose you can can spend an entire day going through the whole thing I mean, for me, it varies between show to show. Uh, I like having the choice that I can binge it all if I want. And uh, for Stranger Things, the, the first time I saw it, I kind of spaced it out over about a month or a month and a half. But the second time I watched through it, I did it over a couple days and you know grouped like three or four episodes into one day. And for me, it, with this you know story, and I've referred to it already as like an eight-hour movie, I think it's great to watch them back to back. I mean... Uh, every episode ends with you know basically a cliffhanger, and uh, not in the sense that you know a lot of network TV shows would kind of use a, a gimmicky one, but more just like the cliffhanger is like okay, I just need to know how the rest of this scene ends in the next episode. Yeah, and uh, you know it's something where I know we'll be talking about other Netflix originals like Master of None and House of Cards and shows like that where I think they they lend themselves better to the chapter formatting where you can. You know, watch an episode, take a couple of days, watch another one where there's mm-hmm. very little overarching plot. But for something like Stranger Things, yeah, I I found it really useful to be able to watch it all the way through. Uh, did you find the same experience for you, or do you not like this binging? Do you, you prefer to chop it up? Well, it's an interesting one, and like even the the use of the cliffhanger in something like Stranger Things is I, I find it very intriguing because it almost kind of has the the opposite effect of what a cliffhanger was originally meant to do you know a cliffhanger went back in the day when you had a, a week to wait for a show they would give you a cliffhanger and you would be like oh I can't believe it and then you would have a week to kind of discuss it at the at the the water cooler at work or in the in the playground at school you know you have that whole week talking about it and now it's almost like the opposite set effect you have that cliffhanger so that you'll just immediately jump into the next episode to kind of create this binge-watching society of it almost. But um, to answer your question, I suppose, um, do I prefer it? Um, I don't know. This this maybe goes back to um, to when I was, what I referenced earlier, being a, a youngster and just plopping myself down in front of the TV for hours on end. You, you know, I, I, I am not to be trusted with my television watching, Eric. If left to my own devices, um, <laughs> I will just sit in my own filth for hours and hours on end. And, and and watch shows, and it doesn't really matter what I'm watching. I will just watch it. Um, thank goodness. Are you sure you're not? Are you sure you're not American? Because I think that's <laughs> the American dream you just described. Well, I mean, thank goodness. Now I'm a little bit older. I am married. I have a job. I do have other responsibilities that that, that <laughs> wrestles me away from the television from time to time. So I, I like I. I, I'm almost not to be trusted on this. You know, I, I like the idea of it. Um, I like the idea of being, of having everything at your fingertips. And why, why should you have to wait? You should, have, you know, why can't we have instant gratification? Um, but I, do, I guess 
and I, I think it works well for something like Stranger Things for reasons that I'll maybe get into when I when I give you my my opinion on the show a little bit later on. But I guess um, for other things, you know, there are still shows um, that I watch on a a week to week basis. You know, I still kind of watch Walking Dead on a week to week basis. Uh, Game of Thrones is now something that I watch on a week to week basis, and, mm-hmm. I, and and there's enjoyment in that too. So I don't know. I I guess I guess I'm with you. I guess it kind of depends on the vehicle. For Stranger Things, so um, I, I was kind of grateful to have it all there with me I think uh, I would have been very frustrated to have to wait and see uh, after every episode to, to wait a week yeah well it's kind of funny I mean since we're on this note of you know the technology changing today to allow us to binge or even just watch whatever shows we want kind of when we want with you know direct TV or uh, TiVo devices um, there's been in the last I'd say 10 years I think I can say that comfortably this real big push in Hollywood on both the big screen and the small screen for a lot of nostalgia. And as we mentioned earlier, the different superhero franchises, I mean, nothing exemplifies that better than all these different comic books coming to life, uh, you know, in the visual or the the moving medium. And, uh, you know, a lot of call for remakes and reboots and sequels. You know, do you think there's something about our, you know, current place in society today where we've evolved to have this kind of technology and this instant gratification uh, generation has come about, which we are a part of. Do you, do you think um, that this kind of call for nostalgia is a reaction to that? I think there's something to be said with that. Nostalgia can be a dangerous thing sometimes. I think particularly with Stranger Things, I, I think a lot of the... The, the the selling point I think and and I think a lot of his success uh, has has been based on this nostalgia you know this pining for it and you know you you link me into a video um, which kind of points out all of the references in there and like you know I I'd, I'd be lying if I said I I spotted maybe half of those and I don't think it you know it's designed for everybody to to spot all of them I think it's just done it so that um you know you can you can pull out a few things from whatever your tastes were from the 1980s basically uh but you can even look at like the the advertisement on uh you know the the poster work or the fonts that were used or even to the soundtrack you know this is this is a show that's so dependent on that power of nostalgia and it owes a lot of the success that it's had to that nostalgia I think you, you said it right when nostalgia was a selling point. I think you know a lot of people watch this because they grew up either in the 80s, uh, you know, coming of age around then, their teens, or uh, you know maybe even were younger kids later on that watched a lot of these 80s horror movies from John Carpenter and you know the other great um, filmmakers at the time. Uh, but honestly, something kind of occurred to me because it seems like a, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about the nostalgia factor, and and most of it I, that I've been reading is kind of a little negative skew, just kind of pointing out how, oh, maybe they were leaning too much on this. But I, I almost have this theory that it makes a lot of sense for there to be so many pop culture references in the show's universe. Um, even though it's nostalgia to us to look back on that time period and specifically the things they're talking about. This show starts off with the kids sitting around the table playing Dungeons & Dragons. And um, the entire first season ends with them back at that table playing Dungeons & Dragons. So... I don't think this is necessarily a show that takes place completely in the kids' minds, but I think there's a deliberate setup uh, with the writers and and the Duffer brothers looking into setting the the story up almost as a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. You, you even have uh, um, the kids, you know, talking about their their proper etiquette when they fight, and that you know whoever draws first blood 
has to make up with the other persons because you have to keep the party together at all costs because if the party splits everybody you know can get screwed over and there are so many D&D references throughout it and as and when they you know are looking at uh, the Star Wars action figures and talking about elves' powers being similar to the Force from Star Wars, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if these kids were just playing a D and D game that their D and D game would be wouldn't would be full of all these pop culture references. I mean, if there are kids, including myself, <laughs> playing a game today, I, I you know still litter it with you know maybe a reference to Jessica Jones or something like that, just because it's kind of fun and. And I think that that works to the show's advantage because this, in the end, this is a story basically told from a kid's perspective, even though it's not a kid's story. Mm. And uh, the the final argument I make for that case too, with it being the D and D game, is on AV Club. Emily L. Stevens reviews the show, and she does phenomenal breakdown of every episode, and um, she talks about this recurring motive in many different episodes of these grids, like tiles on the bathroom wall being grids, or even the Department of Energy building looking like a grid and I, I think in the last episode you can see when will flashes in the bathroom you get that grid outline is really uh, prominent in that in that quick flash and D and d games were played on this grid like board table so i I wouldn't be surprised to find out maybe the Duffer brothers were hinting at this d and d d and d style uh, a way of storytelling was a bigger factor and um, I'd even go so far to wonder if season two will be featuring the Hydra as the main monster or one of the monsters, since that's the the uh, game piece they threw on the table at the very end of the first season. Yeah, that certainly felt like to me what they were they were setting up for. Certainly, um, I definitely caught that. I'm I'm not one. I'm not big on the the Dungeons and Dragons as we've discussed. I was too busy watching television to drag myself away to play <laughs> to play any games or anything like that. But uh, uh, but I think that's a really awesome fascinating point it's something that i i hadn't really uh, considered myself but i i like it and the more i think about it the more i think that fits in pretty nicely i think that's that's a pretty awesome take on it to be honest i mean if nothing else it just seems like it's a good kind of gluing theme that uh you know maybe it's more of an easter egg than an actual story guiding element but i could see them continue to use that to do some other really cool twists in the future yeah yeah definitely and like because you know we have the four boys but then you know there's two other groups essentially that are going on their own kind of quests as well you know you have um wheeler's uh, sister and um and will's brother they kind of hook up and they go on their adventure and then obviously you've got right. uh, hopper and will's mother they're they're doing their own investigations and then it's almost like they all come together at the end to, to kind of team up and it, it just feels like it's not contrived at all it just kind of feels like there are three separate quests for the one mission of all kind of naturally led to that point where they're all together and they all need to kind of chip in together to be able to to finally defeat the Demogorgon. So I, I feel like it all comes yeah. together very nicely. Yeah, and I, I think it's a real testament to the writing, just of the overall structure of the show, that you can have all these kind of, you know, three or four, un, not unrelated, but different plots that all come together for that final climax that takes place in the Upside Down and in the in the... Uh, real world or whatever whatever we call our reality for sure i think that's a really interesting take and I'm, I'm i'm really glad that you brought that to it i have to say you know i was when we decided on this being uh the first episode i think it definitely is appropriate because it was such a smash in 2016 i did have my worries about it because i feel like you know a few months have passed i'm sure there's been many many hours of, of podcast <laughs> time dedicated to to dissecting this show and i i did kind of wonder um what people could bring to it uh you know what 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 fresh uh 
fresh take we could take to it. With that being said, I want to bring my own hot take to it now because I, I, I agree with everything you've said about it in terms of the writing and the acting is terrific. I, I really love the, the attention to detail with everything. Um, I think the cast do a phenomenal job um, throughout it. I think the soundtrack is brilliant. Uh, and yet, and, and, and this is this is where I, I get controversial perhaps, I, I was a little underwhelmed by the show as a whole. And you know, as, as you reel away and, and, and cancel the recording, let, just just hear me out. That's uh, because <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I don't. I, I, I've I've spent some time trying to get my head around why it, it hasn't done for me what it, it's seemingly done for the for the the rest of the world. Um, because I I appreciate everything that it does. It does everything really well. But there's just there was just something about it that I couldn't get into, and I don't know if it was. I think probably the main reason is I, I watched it a little late. I didn't watch it when it was released um, back in the summer. Uh, I, I definitely waited a few months. So I'd had, you know, a good solid two, three months of people telling me how it was the greatest show ever. And I think when you kind of carry that expectation into it, um, it's it's never going to live up to it, which is not the show's fault, I suppose. But that, that that's maybe something that I've brought into it myself. Um, I think it might have something to do with the fact that I am all of the nostalgia that it throws at you. It's this 1980s um, nostalgia that it, 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 it revels in. I, I, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't ever for me. I don't really feel that strongly about all the things. I mean, I, I, I like E.T. I like Close Encounters of a Third Kind, but they were never really my shows. They were never really, they were never really like what I look back to as, as like the pinnacle of my childhood. Um, I never played Dungeons and Dragons or anything like that. So I don't know. I, I, for me, not having that connection, there was almost kind of this, 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 this block of style over substance. I almost kind of felt like it got in the way. It kind of put up this intentional construct that really stopped me from getting into it. I was never really hooked. I was never... I never had that one where an episode ended and I was immediately hitting play on the next one. It just, it, it never quite got me in on that way. Um, mm. And and as I say, you know, it's not much of a hot take because it, it's good. I I enjoyed it and I, I and it, everything that we've said about it so far is 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 true. The cast are phenomenal. The acting is amazing. The music is terrific. Um, but it, yeah, it just it just didn't. It didn't work for me for for whatever reason, and I, I I don't I don't know. Maybe it's something that I can I can invest in fully uh, once season two comes around. Um, I think that's a possibility, but yeah, I'm not sure. So there we go for hot takes. It's for me, it was only good. It wasn't you know it wasn't great. It wasn't the best thing ever. What there? How's that for a hot take? Oh, I mean, well, you know, that's for for a hot take. I'd say that's pretty warm to lukewarm. <laughs> right. Uh, no, well, uh, for me, I, I got I got really hooked on it pretty quick. I know I said I watched it the first time, kind of spread out over six weeks, but um, you know, I grew up watching ET, Close Encounters, uh, Jaws. You know, we could go down this list for the next hour right. of all the things that have seemingly influenced the show. And I also was really big into playing. Uh, computerized game computer games that were the versions of Dungeons and Dragons and so a lot of that spoke to me and I definitely uh, have, uh, sympathize with you Michael about the hype because I've had that happen to me uh, the most recent I could think of was Game of Thrones where I had just you know everyone like literally everyone telling me that I need to watch that show because I only got into it uh, when season five was was starting to air and it was something where I was watching the first season, and I was like, okay, yeah, well, it's good, I guess. Like, it's good acting, it's a great story, like, the camera work is, you know, phenomenal, like, all the things that you're saying about this show. But 
It just didn't really hook me. Until, and spoilers if you for somehow avoid the Game of Thrones until this point, when they cut off Ned's head at the end of season one, then I was like, oh, oh, wow, this is like a different story, where like you're taking a lot of medieval fantasy literature tropes and flipping them on their head, and I felt like that was the moment where I was like, okay, this is something that demands my attention and is going to be setting up something new, and you know, from that episode on, I was uh, I was watching back to back as as much as I could to get through Game of Thrones, and so yeah, maybe when season two comes around, uh, you know that that might change your mind a little bit, um, and even to entice you a little bit about season two, there's definitely been approved. I I guess when this first came out, the first season, they had already um, ordered more episodes from the Duffer Brothers, so they've been writing since the summer when it aired about a second season, and. Uh, uh, there's talk of a lot more going into the Upside Down, and um, apparently Matthew Modine is coming back, so there will be something with his character as the you know hmm. evil evil Doctor Brenner. And, yeah, um, I, I I read that. Did, did do you specifically see him die? I can't remember. I think they're pretty you, they're they're pretty coy yeah, about it, right? Uh, it's it's technically off screen. I mean, you know, when you have a Demogorgon jump on you face first, I feel like you're dead. But we technically did not see him die. Yeah. So, you know, he could always just come back in flashback, I suppose. Around. But um, yeah, yeah I, there is always that. Although they confirmed that Barb will not be returning. Right. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Barb. But there, there will be some other new people, so it'll be be curious. I'm especially curious about you know learning more about the Upside Down, especially with those those eggs and those slugs that were in Will and, you know, you see that one hatched egg, but they never explicitly say that the Demogorgon came out of it. I'm wondering if there are other creatures in that realm that, uh, or you know, maybe there was even a bigger creature that was the one that was, uh, you know, sticking that root down Will's throat to lay the slugs in his stomach. I mean, maybe that had nothing to do with the Demogorgon. Yeah, I kind of find it weird because, you know, the Demogorgon's, the Demogorgon's aesthetic was definitely more kind of plant-based, so I see, it seems odd to me that it would then lay eggs, but um, yeah, yeah. You know, who knows? Who knows? That's maybe more of a, a Hydra thing, but... Um, yeah. Well, but, when it when it comes out, are you gonna are you gonna dive right in? Are you gonna give it some time to see the reviews? What's your plan? I mean, I I'll, I'll definitely revisit it. I I I definitely will, and I you know it, it it will not be something that you know even if the word of mouth isn't as strong, it's it's something that I'm intrigued to go in. Um, yeah, I I probably won't dive in. I think it's 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 unrealistic that I'm going to sit down the day that it comes out and bash out a couple of episodes, but it's something that I will get to if for nothing else, um, you know now that we have the obligations of doing a television podcast it's probably something i should be up on but um <laughs> i think your your point your comparison with game of thrones is definitely right because game of thrones took me I, I like you i didn't quite get the hype for the first for the first few first few seasons to be honest i remember distinctly getting maybe about halfway through season 2 into season 3 and thinking when is this going to really really hook me when when am i really going to go along with all of this and then it, and then it did just like that probably around the time of the red wedding so i can see that it's entirely possible that this show is going to win me over uh, the more that it comes to it I, th- I and i think it's really interesting and uh, a point that i want to touch on a little bit more from what netflix allows from it as well because as you've already pointed out you've referred to it as a movie as almost like an eight hour movie and that's that's kind of the way that netflix like to do it they don't when they commission these original shows, they don't set restrictions on the makers by saying, "Well, it's got you got to do uh, twelve episodes, you got to do twenty one episodes to fill a season." You know, they they seem very content on letting the the makers 
make it as long as it needs to be. And that's, you know, that's something we'll talk about with other Netflix shows that we're going to talk about, I'm sure. But here, you know, you've got your eight episodes. You know, they vary in time. I think some are 40 40 minutes, some are closer to an hour. Um, And and I think that works really well. I think that that gives it a freedom that's that's really important when you're you're trying to make something like this. Yeah, and I think now, especially with, this uh with the premium channels and the streaming networks uh getting their hands on these dramas you can have creators that can come in and say listen this is the story here's the beginning here's the end here's what we're going to do in between and then something could be great that sounds like a three season show as opposed to you know trying to get on um the network tv or even uh you know some cable cable shows still where it was about, okay, but how is this going to give me 100 episodes? Like, well, this drama really only covers 50 episodes, so we had to kind of stretch it out with all this filler stuff. And um, I'd, much rather have, I'd much rather have a creative team give me a great product that you know, is, is relatively short and then go on and do something else. I'd, I'd rather see that than have them you know, trying to milk every last penny out of you know, a, a franchise that you know, is, is making money for the company. It's, I'd rather see those people do something new and hopefully, you know, the company can keep profiting. For sure. For sure. I, I, I think that's a good model to do it. You know, I think that's going to give all these television makers the freedom to really continue this uh, golden age that we're living in. Long may it continue, Eric. Long may it continue. Yes, please. You, you want to talk about some of the cast? You want to talk about some of the characters? Um, obviously, the the boys, the the four, well, the the three boys who who don't go missing, and and L, you know, uh, Wheeler and Dustin and Lucas. Yeah. They're they're kind of the main heart of the show, I suppose. But there's some really strong performances which you kind of already touched on um Winona Ryder is one that I definitely wanted to to single out because it's a a pretty thankless role to have like the grieving mother um and it does and it does seem that she spends um a lot of episodes just kind of wailing away and kind of you know just sobbing uh, non-stop and I you know it's the sort of thing I think in less skilled hands it could have been a, a really grating a really grating uh, character to have, but she she manages to to really get something out of that. I, I I wonder if it's just because she's so skilled that she brings such sympathy to it. I, I, maybe it's because the character is, you know, the the grieving process. She is being proactive while she is kind of you know she's not just sitting there doing nothing. You know, she's buying the Christmas lights and she's she's going along for the ride with Hopper. I think uh, there's many aspects of that which make it uh, a, a well more fleshed out character than perhaps. Um, Perhaps we've seen in in other similar roles in other series and in movies. I think a lot of that speaks to Miss Ryder's skill as an actor. I mean, she's just great because you said it's a very limited role. And, you know, for anyone out there that's still, like, crapping on her performance, I really just don't understand. I... I think it speaks testaments to her range mm-hmm. uh, that she can do so many nuanced changes with her voice and reactions um, throughout this this series, where she's already on the edge as a single mother who's struggling to, you know, raise raise her kids and make ends meet, and to be dealing with this whole supernatural uh, conspiracy theory thing surrounding her own missing child and. But but just seeing you know her from the very beginning where she's frazzled to going completely crazy looking for her kid and then to like the earnestness of the way that she treats 
um, you know, Hopper and other people when she's talking about speaking to Will through the lights and just her, you know, downright stubbornness to not give up on her son and the way that she kind of caves when her ex Lonnie comes back and then immediately turns on him as soon as she realizes he's, you know, up to no good like his old ways. I mean, that's all as you could, I can lump all that under a casual uh, description of her characters. Yes, she's, you know, grief-stricken crazy, but it's not just that, it's all those little you know, nuances that are kind of moving back and forth within that, you know, distraught uh, parent spectrum of the emotions. I mean, she get, that's that's kind of a thing that, that pops up, you know, the, the, her kind of like confronting her ex-husband. That's something that all three of the, the main female characters have to, you know, they kind of have to step up and kind of throw off a more sort of dominating uh, male influence yeah. in their life. And, you know, that's her side of things, and it, it definitely pays out very well yeah i would definitely agree with that and i think it's really nice to see these more strong female characters coming to the small screen especially and also to the big screen i mean you know it's not it wasn't that long ago before we were living in an age of jessica jones and daenerys targaryen so i'm really glad to see you know more diverse <laughs> characters of all genders and you know nationalities coming forth yeah well that's all very well and good and still until you start casting them as ghostbusters eric and then they start ruining your childhood i mean Yes. Anyway, don't well, get there you started. go. Talking about the power of nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> right. The ugly side of nostalgia. Was there yeah. was, was there a lot of criticism for for uh, Winona Ryder? Were people having a go at her? I didn't read anything, but you kind of I, you kind of. Um, I just kind of felt that way. I mean, just reading. I don't know if it was like a, a directed attack, but it just seemed like a lot of reviews that I read just. Would there at least be a throwaway sentence it's like, "Yeah, Winona Ryder just her performance wasn't that good," and I'd be like, "Why? Uh, what nah. about it?" And, and it seemed like people were kind of... And there were definitely negative reviews written about this show, but those negative points really harped on overuse of nostalgia and and her character being too one-dimensional, just being the distraught mother. But, uh, you know, as we talked about both those things in this episode, I think that that's a really shallow look at it. And, mm. and it's fine if you want to look at the details and still feel like, no, I, I want more from that character, or no, I still think the nostalgia bothers me. You know, that's fine, but I think if you're to write off the whole show just by looking at those two elements on a very surface level, then I was I would recommend doing some deeper digging. Yeah, definitely. She's good. And she's she's a good actress, man. Do you ever see her in Black Swan? Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. I mean, everything that she's touched. But yeah, what a great, you know, relatively recent role because I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, she hasn't done anything since uh, you know, Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands, but no, she's she's still got chops. She's still working, doing great. Yeah, she was um, definitely one of my favorites throughout. As was um, uh, Hopper, uh, the, the the policeman who's yeah. leading the investigation, played by David Harbour. And and for me, you know, we kind of talked about um, the nostalgia uh, kind of getting in the way of me really investing in in the show. I think if there's one character and one thing that I really invested in, it was probably Hopper's arc. I I found that to be the most the most harrowing, um, the most, you know, the one that I, I really kind of dug in there with. And I think it's it's not a main thing. It's really, it, it really kind of gives you insight into his motivations. Um, is, it, is it only revealed in the last episode what happens to his daughter? It's certainly hinted at that, you know, he's he's lost a, he's lost a, a child at some point along the way. But it, it, it's not fully yeah, realized think- until that last episode. Is that right? Yeah, at least not, like, how she dies. Um, I I believe, like, in the first or second episode, when they're in the woods looking for Will, uh, they... uh, One of the cops mentions to uh, the science teacher, Mr. Clark, that uh, Hoppers uh, had a daughter who who died. Um, And there's a little talk about his ex-relationship and maybe a potential former relationship with Joyce as well. 
But yeah, it's not until that wonderfully done intercut of the flashbacks in the last episode, which I'm really glad they saved that big reveal uh, for that moment as opposed to kind of peppering it through because mm. as as a viewer, you know that something horrible had happened, but seeing it um, you know, right up against Will you know, tied to the tree with the tube in his throat as well, or whatever that thing was. It's I, I'm definitely one that will get emotional around movies and, and TV that's done well, and that, that's that's the part that brought me to tears for sure. And I think it speaks a lot to to that character and to David Harbour's performance to to be this relatively renegade cop. And I think nowadays too, with you know so much examination of of the police force and and uh, how they handle their jobs, we have this this desire to see these these renegade cops that are out fighting for justice that, it, that it's okay to break the rules when you're going up against a more corrupt evil thing and, and that's what we get from hop with this whole kind of being on the front lines in this battle to uncover the conspiracy at the department of energy and oddly enough related to that too i don't know if you've heard about this but there was a, there was some direct uh you know retaliation from the actual department of energy after this show (laughs) no way yeah where uh someone made a blog post after they binged it someone who worked there and um (laughs) you know they 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 wanted to like go on record and say well the department of energy does not explore parallel universes or fight monsters um you know but we do we do help with developing uh technology for space travel and also to prevent like cyber and nuclear terrorism but then there, after that, there was like this leaked memo that came up in a tweet from someone at the department, and it was talking about that actually we do support research into parallel universes because we fund this division of you know theoretical sciences and blah blah blah. And then that tweet was mysteriously deleted, <laughs> and so now there's this like running conspiracy theory that uh, the Department of Energy is trying to cover something up, which I I doubt that's the case. Um, that's funny, is, man. That's like yeah, I yeah, like they just went out of their way to make this you know unprompted response. But here's the show. thing, because I wouldn't have thought for a single second that they would be involved in something like that. But now that they've put out that memo, now nah, now I'm starting to think, yeah, yeah they, the the fact that they felt the need to come out and say it, you know, I can just imagine them sort of like reading it with their eyes darting backwards and forwards <laughs> that like side to side shiftily you know it's like no we're yeah. not we don't know what you're talking about you know tugging nervously on their collar well and i think it's like a legitimate um examination too because they talk about mk ultra in stranger things I, I think in the sixth episode is where they go meet l's supposed mother um you know terry and she was a part of the mk ultra uh program which i was doing a little research <laughs> on it and it was this, you know, uh, the scientific intelligence division from the C- the U.S. CIA was uh, looking into the possibilities of mind control and telekinesis and telepathy, uh, all as a, you know, defensive and offensive weaponry against the communists. And this program officially stopped in 1973, though a lot of people or a lot of you know sources have said that it's still going on, uh, experimenting with you know LSD and other chemicals and sensory deprivation and stuff so that was a real thing and i'm glad that the duffer brothers kind of worked that way in there's obviously no conclusive evidence that doing lsd while you're pregnant will give you a psychic child so i wouldn't recommend doing that to any of our um you know pregnant listeners out there but 
I I find it really you know interesting that there are these kind of secret programs and that you can use it as a good repository for making an enticing fictional conspiracy theory or allegedly fictional you know let's just say yeah right I just (laughs) God I just love that I mean that's that's literally like you know experimenting with LSD to see if you can do like hypnosis and like telekinesis that's literally like if you gave like a high school student too much money and just be like all right go off and investigate science there you go let's see what yeah. you come up with <laughs> yeah. well and the the unfortunate reality is that the downside of this is that it did wreck a lot of people's lives that didn't consent or didn't really understand what they were doing so it it i think that depiction of terry and, and you know being taken care of by her sister in the show was pretty accurate but yeah um, yeah, there's there's some stranger things out there. God, we, we're not going to use that, are we? We're not going to use it. Yep, that. it's in there. Too late. Sorry. Oh boy. One of us had to see it, and I'm just glad it yeah. was you. Well, you mentioned, and you know, before we wrap up, because I know we're kind of coming close to time, but you mentioned the music a few times. Would you like to elaborate on that anymore? I know that music was phenomenal in the show. Yeah, I mean, the music is is one of my favorite parts of it. I, I was really digging that. You know, it was music by uh, Michael Stein and uh, Kyle Dixon of the electronic band Survive, and it's just kind of the the eerie use of synthesizers. Um, you know, it, it, that took me back. You know, I. I, I I'm going to sound like a right hypocrite because I've already banged on about how nostalgia is dangerous and it's not for me and stuff, but I was taken right back to, you know, John Carpenter and Tangerine Dreams, you know, the, the use of the stuff mm. like that. I just thought it was absolutely yeah. excellent. And even even more recent kind of soundtracks, um, I think something like uh, Drive, um, the, the one yeah. that It Follows that came out last year, um, and also Under the Skin, the Scarlett Johansson movie by a, an artist called Mikachu. I think all of that was just this kind of eerie, unsettling use of synthesis Synthesizers, I, I think, really, really made the made the the show for me. Yeah, and I think as so for our listeners that don't know, I studied trombone and uh, classical music composition for undergrad and grad. And uh, you know, synthesizers are a scary word for us because it's basically uh, the thing we're fighting against to stay in business. Yeah, the enemy. Music. Yeah, exactly. But in this case, I when the synthesizer is supposed to be a synth, when you get that feel that you so well described. Um, I love it. I love when that happens when you're when you're not going out of your way to replace acoustic instruments for a budget reason. Because I think that that's that just sounds terrible if if you can tell the difference. Um, but with with this kind of show and um, again tying into that nostalgic factor, as you said with John Carpenter and uh, well, and even those newer movies that I'm sure are building off that same feel of just connecting to that. What is that? The golden age of, of horror movies, or at least American horror cinema, I guess. Yeah, you know, from the eighties and nineties. Yeah. No, it was a real treat. Uh, definitely, definitely one of my favorite parts of it, and hopefully something that they they continue with. I I wonder, like going forward, because we're going in um, for for season two, which I think is is kind of come out next year. I mean, they were worried even during filming that the the boys were growing up too fast. Like, um, I think particularly with uh, Dustin, that was a real problem for them. So, like, presumably right. season two, we're going to see we're going to see a jump forward in time to 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 account for the fact that the boys are older. Um, yeah, I think they confirmed that it will be 1984 because I believe season one was 1983. I think the the little teaser on IMDb said that it would take right. place the following uh November of 1984. Oh, they're just they're just jumping forward a year. That's interesting. I was I, I was wondering yeah. if they would maybe jump forward a little further and then maybe 
I don't know, maybe explore yeah. a different aesthetic and a different, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready for a, a, 90, a 1990s uh, nostalgia fest for Stranger Things. I think right. that would be disastrous. But um, everyone dressed like Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. Uh, oh, my gosh. Wait, well, I mean, I, I do that almost every day I go to work. So. <laughs> That's awesome. What do you want to see? What do you hope to see from season two? Uh, well, I, I definitely want to see more of the Upside Down. Um, I'm also really excited to see to see more of Will because uh, we got a little taste of him from the flashbacks um, and I think Noah Schnapp did a great great performance in those little scenes and also you know the big ending uh, and the big opening sequences and so I'm, I'm glad that he is now on as like a full cast member for the next season so I know we're going to learn a lot more about him and yeah I really hope we, we get more into the upside down and learn more about what that world is and as I said earlier hopefully we'll see a Hydra as well <laughs> yeah well I'm hoping uh, they... what about you well, I'm hoping they build on it. I, I, a part of me is is worried for the show, and I think it goes back to to that hype that it came with. You know, I, it it reminds me um, of a of a similarly hyped up show, um, True Detective, which um, obviously that first season was phenomenal, really, really good. Again, it was one that I was a little underwhelmed by just because of how much it had been built up for me, and then you know it came back for season two, and it just wasn't. I don't know. I, I never watched season two, but that magic wasn't there. People turned on it pretty sharpish, and you know that that show's now been very much dropped down a peg or two. And I wonder, and I do worry, like if they can't capture that magic right away, or maybe maybe the the nostalgia kind of wears off. That that treat wears off. Um, that that maybe the bubble will burst a little bit. I, I I certainly hope not. I think I think there's more to it than that. I think they've got the potential to build a really cool universe with it, and I would like to see. I'd like to see different like different aspects of it i'd like to see them almost go off on a different adventure you know um i think i think that would be great but uh i i I do worry i i have my worries for it well i think if it stays within the rules of the universe hopefully you won't have to worry about too much because it it seems like they set up a really cool place to be and i i haven't seen true detective season one or season two and i know that's blasphemous to everyone who loves (laughs) number one and uh, (laughs) but um you know, correct me if I'm wrong. That when they changed the cast, right? And yeah, different cast, different well. location. Yeah, so yeah. obviously so I think we got the advantage. Yeah, hopefully with with this show, we have the advantage of keeping the same cast and location, and um, just you know, evolving the story, or maybe even a different story, just with familiar people. Because I I think when there's some sort of familiarity, you can you can be grounded as a as a viewer. Yeah, uh, and that's I think really important. If we have, like, one second, there's one other theory that I haven't really seen written anywhere, but it's one that I've kind of pieced together. Oh, here we go. Here we yeah. go. Oh, it's oh you conspiracy theorists. Yeah, this is what people have been waiting for. They're waiting for yeah. more fan theories. Here we go. Hit us with it, Eric. Okay. Well, if you thought the D&D one was out, okay. <laughs> so, I think, now I think the Upside Down is a parallel universe, of, you know, timeline, whatever you want to call it, but one where the Cold War went hot. And where there's uh, actually that that ash that's kind of falling from the sky in the darkness is really um, you know ash from a nuclear war, and like there's fallout radiation that has mutated uh, these kind of creatures of the Demogorgon. And the only reason I I kind of was thinking that is because you have this set in the 80s, and we're we're nearing the peak of the Cold War, which I believe was in the mid to late 80s, uh, when the tensions were really at the highest, and um, you know. Terry even says that she suspected that her daughter Jane was taken 
uh, to do some experiments to go off and fight the commies, and we see that L is, uh, you know, doing telepathy uh, research from, you know, listening to this this Russian man in another room, and and uh, when she goes into full sensory deprivation and walks over to him when it's all in that whole black room. Uh, I found it really interesting that he kind of disappeared like a vapor that went away, so I'm wondering if she's like picturing him through radio waves or or actually picking him up in another country. So I think there's a really big connection uh, to the whole Cold War around the show, and um, I'm wondering if perhaps they, you know, the Department of Energy or or if there's some sort of bigger parent uh, organization behind this, like the CIA or the military, that... um, you know, we could we could look more into this potentially being preventing like the Cold War from happening, or maybe it already happened in this other timeline, and so now the, these people are trying to use psychic children to prevent it from happening in the future. Uh, I don't know, but that that's something that that went through my head, especially after learning more about MK Ultra and just you know seeing the setting of the time period of the show as well as just the way that the the upside down looks. So um, and there. There's clearly like a, a pro environmental message to a lot of the '80s films that we talked about that this show references. And uh, having just watched ET again the other night, you know the older brother wears a no nukes T-shirt, and even the aliens that ET comes from, like they're around collecting plants. Uh, so uh, I, there's with the Department of Energy being the enemy in Stranger Things, I definitely think there's a little bit of a, a pro environmentalist message here. So I'm wondering if there might be some sort of connection with this potential fallout parallel universe but uh that's just my my crazy rambling for this show so i think you've done it i think you've you've hit the nail on the head i think i think that's it we don't even need to watch season two now uh, that that's that that's it all wrapped up nicely thank you well, i'm glad i was so convincing <laughs> <laughs> i'm sold i think you excellent you've done the you've done what everybody did in the first season of lost and just guessed it you know they, you've guessed the the ending so well, they're gonna have to come up with right, something get the, different get the duffer brothers on the line let's let's get this let's get this written down <laughs> that's awesome so with that in mind, Eric, I mean, you already asked me a little bit earlier on, but looking ahead to season two when it is released in 2017, do you think it's something that you're going to be right there the day that it's released, cramming in as many episodes as you can? Uh, is it something that you're going to, you know, tentatively dip your toe into when it comes back? Or is it is it something that you'll maybe, you'll maybe avoid for the time being? Oh, no, it's something I'm definitely going to dive into right away. Uh, if, you know, I'm sure I'll watch the, at least the first two episodes back to back and um, I bet by the end of the week of it being out, because I want to know. And even <laughs> if it even if it goes off on the wrong tracks, I am going to see it all the way through to the end, probably as quick as possible. And I think it's uh, it's pretty much guaranteed that we'll be doing a Stranger Things season two retrospective uh, once once that episode's out as well. So I think that's uh... yeah, we'll definitely need to do a follow up. I want to see if my crazy fan theories were right or not. Yeah, and I want to see if I if I warm to it a little bit more. So um, we'll meet back here in a year's time and uh, compare notes. Thank you all for listening to our ramblings. Once again, we are Eric Saris and Michael Clancy, Telebuddies. If you'd like to find out more about our upcoming shows, please follow us at Pod on Twitter. Check out our Facebook page. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Eric Saris. You can find Michael on Twitter at Clancy Hat. And be sure to check out Michael's show, High Hat Film Podcast, for an in-depth look at the great films of the big screen. Original music for our show is composed by Christopher William Palmer and recorded by Key Lime Pie NYC. You can find out more about Chris's music at www.chrispmusic.com. 
www.justinroyland.net. Join us next time for when we scale things back and take a look at Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon's collaboration for Adult Swim, the always ridiculous and delightful Rick and Morty. Wubba lubba dub dub bitches! Woo! Wubba lubba dub dub! Rick and Morty 100 years! I am so excited. It's gonna be Michael and Eric running around 100 years. Yeah! Yeah, 100 years, Michael and Eric. (laughs) Well, until next time, hope you all have a wonderful day.